Amen. Take uh, that uh, outline that was uh, in the bulletin, and uh, you want to take that now as we consider a message I've entitled uh, "Cardiac Issues." You know the Bible. The Bible speak. There are several metaphors or imagery, if you will, that talk about uh, uh, our life as Christians. You know, one thing about a Christian is that you're not saved. It's, we're not dealing with life insurance here. So, some Christians act that way, like. You know, I got, I got, I got uh, I'm saved, and uh, that's all I care about. I'm in the boat. Talk of Noah's Ark, right? I'm in. Uh, to, to the rest of the world, uh, be damned or something, you know? No way. That is not the mind of Christ. That's, that's not it. God has given us something to do here, if, and I'm sure of that, or he would take us right home to heaven. Have you ever, ever thought about that? If God was done with you, you'd be like, eh, that's it, you're up, uh, and you're out of here. And someday that's going to happen. We all have an expiration date. And God knows our days, and he knows our gifts and abilities. And uh, he's placed us here for a purpose, and that is make disciples. Make disciples. We're not making widgets. Some of you make widgets during the week. Some of you uh, tinker with the machines that make widgets. Some of you design widgets. Some of you uh, do the medical care for those that make the widgets. Some of you do all that kind of stuff, right? Now, we're make disciples, Make a disciple as a follower of Jesus Christ. It begins by hearing the gospel. Uh, and so there are a number of things. I mean, Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. That's one of the imageries of that, fishing for men. They talk about in Susquehanna what happened to the smallmouth bass. Not too many years ago, you could go out, Chris Cobb, my friend, my old friend, used to go out and catch him by the baskets, he said. Holy cow, they're jumping to get out of the water into your boat. He thought, describe it. And I was selfish. I said, I got to go out. But I never did make it out. I went with Mark once. I don't think we caught anything, did we? And Mark was a boy on the river, grew up in New Cumberland, he told me. But we had fun in the boat. That was, that was fun. Fishers of men, right? Fishers of men. That's one of the imageries. Another one is uh, that of a farmer. Did you know you're a farmer? I did you a. Faith and I lived in Indiana for uh, nine and a half years, and uh, being a suburban guy from that great city of Buffalo, New York, uh, didn't know anything about farming. My dad had a little garden in his latter years, was, ran it like an engineer. We're running three crops this year. You know, he had a six-by-eight-foot patch, you know, like three crops. Oh, yeah, I got a time. We got the peas early, get them out, get some. I go, what's happening to you? you know? <laughs> but he found great joy in it, you know. We're farmers. We are. In Indiana, we saw that. Faithy and I saw that and uh, began to appreciate uh, the work of a farmer. And uh, that's hard work. That's hard work. Especially dairy farmers. They're the real farmers. Did you know that? They don't think those grain farmers are. <laughs> they're like, those are like gentlemen farmers. They're not real farmers. You got to be milking morning and evening or you're not a real one. And, and to see the cultivation of the fields and the beauty of that. Wow, it's beautiful to see it come to fruition. And then they harvest that, the beans and the corn and all that. You're a farmer. We're going to learn more about that today as you and I uh, have something to do. And it's far beyond making a living. Most Americans think uh, that, the, no, I don't think most Americans think that way anyway. They think, I, I just want to have fun. You know, so they can't, you know, do math in school. And what's the point of school? I just want to have fun. Sort of, okay, I'll learn the bare minimum, you know, so I get a job and work and live indoors and have fun the American way, right? You know, it's uh, really rare. Some of you know history better than others. It's rare to have the amount of leisure time we do. For the great period of human history, people spent a great portion of their time just struggling to labor to get something to eat. Imagine if it took half your week to try and find something to eat, you know, kill the game out in the, out in the woods or, you know, raise a crop or chickens and eggs and all that goes in there. And we like, ah, I'll go by, you know, I'll go by the giant or I'll go by and pick up something there and that's where meat comes from and that's where everything. And it's really rare. And we have, uh, we have a lot of time for other things and we're going to talk about that. We are farmers. There's a sense with that. And, uh, and so on. Well, I've entitled the message, uh, Cardiac Issues. It comes in our continuing study of the doctor's uh, gospel, Dr. Luke, chapter 8, uh, verses 4 to 15. We're going to read that here in a minute. 
to introduce the specific theme at hand, you know, it is amazing to see how much uh, progress medical science has made in the area of cardiology. I mean, it, it is amazing. We, we live at a, we're privileged to live at such a time that uh, the medical diagnostic uh, tools that are available are just phenomenal. They're phenomenal. I mean, you think of human history. I mean, Edison developed a light bulb. When was that? Late 1800s, right? I mean, they couldn't even turn the switch on until 1890. You think of the millennia prior to that, where they had candles and they had oil in the lamp that they lit. And, and now from that period of time, the, the rapid increase of knowledge, just like Daniel 12 says, in the last days there's going to be a great increase in knowledge. We have the privilege, some of the benefits of that are the medical technology and stuff that's available. Uh, I remember when I was in my school years in South Africa, for the very first time, uh, Dr. Bernard, what was his name? Uh, did, Christian Bernard did the first heart transplant. I th and I don't know if that was the 60s or early 70s, I can't remember. But the first one ever! Oh, and we, we go like, well, isn't that Stanford? You know, we're of the day, of course, with the health insurance. Can they do it in a drive-by? You know, it's like you're getting a hamburger. Can you do heart surgery? It's amazing the things they're doing, you know, uh, and, and the technology, the MRIs, and the heart catheterizations. And uh, they'll go in. I've had two heart catheterizations, uh, and everything worked out great through my years. They stick the catheter in your growing artery and goes up and it's in your heart. Don't feel a thing. I was actually looking at the monitor. You're, they only put you to sleep. There it is. Look at that. It's black and white. And then they give you a shot of something and you feel like, oh, I think I just wet my pants. But you didn't. But it, this stuff goes everywhere. Some of you have had it, right? And they're taking pictures of it. And if you have a clogged coronary artery, they send the angioplasty thing up there, and they open that up, and they put a little webbed uh, piece of metal in there, open that up, medicate it, and they'll open the arteries. Some of you have had that. And beyond that, if you need it, they say, well, that's not enough. You do what Paul had. You go in, and they, they, uh, they do a saw on your, you know, your chest. They open you up, and they replumb you. They, they strip the arteries out of your leg, and they reuse it in your artery, in your heart. And they connect it all, hooking you to the heart, lung, and you go like, wow, that stuff's only come recently. It's phenomenal, and we're the beneficiaries of that. It's phenomenal, really. I thank the Lord for that. There are some. We're, we're living in an increasing paganized culture. I mean, I see it everywhere you go. I see it in the White House, in some of the, the, the programs and things that are even promoted this week with sadness, you know, and, and some of these things going on in the Congress and the courts and in all of that, the, uh, I, I think we live in, in Canaan, uh, almost, with the Canaanites. And don't be surprised by that. Uh, but in the midst of that, there are good things, like cell phones. Aren't they great? The technology of a cell phone, that's a little bit off. But most, most days, I hear from our kids, and they call from all around the states just checking in, like Jonathan wondering why I'm not home in bed. It does a flip. When you get older, your kids are like, Aren't you supposed to be home in bed? You know, like, when did that happen? I thought it was, you know, like, sort of anyway. But medical technology is so great, and we're the beneficiaries of it. And uh, they can even, I have on your sheet that, that even hearts that are in very poor condition uh, can be repaired. My father in 1983 didn't even know he had a blockage. And uh, in 80, I was 83, and uh, he had a, a sudden uh, coronary and he died on the spot. He needed uh, heart catheterization. He needed a bypass or something. And now they rush you right in and do that. And if you're a certain age, you, you take a little aspirin every day. That helps thin your blood. And, and some of you are on Lipitor. My cardiologist, funny, when you get older, you have all these specialists that are your friends. You know, like, they used to have Rolodex. I used to laugh at face mom and dad. Their big day was we're going to the doctor and then we got lunch after. You know, like down in Florida, you know, God's waiting room. And now I have sort of all these, I have all these specialties, you know. And I go, yeah, they want to see me every couple. You know, they're so friendly. They say, can you come by about every six months? We want to see you and so on. And my cardiologist, <clears throat> Dr. Bailey, he thinks Lipitor is so good it ought to be in the drinking water. All the benefits of that. So, so half of you are probably on that as well as I am. 
But it's, it is amazing. Did you know, and here's a, here's a bridge now, that did you know that Jesus' greatest parable was about the human heart? It was. It's, just, uh, it's known uh, really from those who study the text, I think rightfully so, as his greatest parable, often call, called the parable of the sower. Most of you have heard of it before, and some of you even studied it. Now, you know, of course, that uh, he's not referring to when he talks about the heart, uh, in, in this, and he does talk about the heart. That's what it's all about. It's not the four-chambered amazing organ that's in your chest and mine. And it is an amazing organ, isn't it? But he's talking about the depths of our soul and the totality of our being. That's what he's talking about when he talks about uh, our, our hearts. And we understand that, don't we? I mean, we just had Valentine's Day, and I hope if you have a sweetie, you wrote a card to her, and we say, and I love you with what? All of my heart, right. And we mean that uh, we, don't, we don't mean this thing here, right? But we mean with all that we are, all our, our soul, from the very depth of my being, nothing reserved, uh, I love you unreservedly. I do, I do, I do. And that's what the Lord is talking about here. And he is, he's talking about our innermost being, our innermost being, your heart. And he is the great cardiologist, and he tells us in this parable a number of heart conditions. Uh, diagnosing them, if you will, and why the gospel, he's going to tell us why the gospel does not always produce the desired response. I mean, our desired response is that all people everywhere would be saved, right? We preach the gospel and scatter the seed of the gospel. We just love people, and they ask of the hope that lies within us, and some we give a tract to, and some we give a Bible, and some we, we share a, a story of what God did for us, and they hear it, and it's like a different language. And we go like, how come all people don't go, where do you go to church? I'm rushing in. Pastor, we need more chairs. They're just crowding in, crowding in. Oh, I pray for that day. But, the, why, but they don't, do they? There are different responses to the gospel. As you and I are faithful and doing what we're supposed to be doing, and that is fishing for men, or in this parable, doing the work of a farmer. And as, we, as people get to know us, and we let them get close and see how we tick and our love for the Lord Jesus, and there's a beauty about that. God draws people to himself through us, but not all, right? Not all. Not all. Not all people, at least at this point in time. It may be later. They don't all respond favorably, do they? Well, he's going to help us to understand that in, the, in this parable. In this first parable, which is, as I mentioned, uh, as it were, the mother of parables, Jesus tells the purpose of all parables. And in that, and, and let's read the text, and I'm going to know, show you specifically verses uh, 9 and 10 at the get-go here. Just I want you to see the purpose of parables, because oftentimes it is wrongly taught. And so the text tells us in Luke's Gospel 8, verse 4, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town to town came to him, that's Jesus, Jesus said in the parable, A sower, that's a farmer, went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path, and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and it grew up, and it withered away, because it had no moisture." And some of the seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and it grew and yielded a hundredfold. And Jesus said these things. Uh, he, he called out, he who has ears, let him hear. Now that's a call not only when Jesus says, listen, he says, let them hear. He says, let them hear, but he means... When, the, when God says it, means obey. means embrace it and do it. Okay? It's not like anchovies on pizza, yes or no. Hear this means hear and do it. All right, look at verse 9. And when his disciples asked him, What's, what does this parable mean? What does it mean? And Jesus said, verse 10, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others uh, they are in parables so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Verse 11. Now the parable is this. He's going to explain it now. The seed of the farmer, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those 
who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the, the word from their hearts, with the result so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And finally, verse 15, as for that, uh, see that fell in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit. Bear fruit with patience, or the word is endurance. Now, in verse 9 and, nine and 10, just to make the point here, that parables are, are, some will teach that parables, oh, isn't just a wonderful teaching device. Jesus taught the people in parables. Isn't that neat? Oh, that's nifty. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Is that, well, uh, to, to some it is. To some, it was beneficial to those who were being of the called and those that were being of the saved, for God was teaching from ordinary life things that they knew about and was teaching spiritual truth that was spiritually discernible. You had to be a quickened and made alive spiritually to be embraced by the truth being taught, or you missed it. And to those who were not, and many of them were in that crowd, they were following Jesus because they got free lunch. Who said there's nothing but a free lunch? Hey, that's great, Lord. When do we eat again? You know, sort of, sort of like that, right? They were not believing. And we're going to find that text. They're going to soon leave. You mean we don't get free lunch every day? I thought it was a great government welfare program. No. Okay? And to them, it was a form of judgment. What they wouldn't receive in, in the brilliancy of the, of the noonday sun, it's like the dimmer switch, if you have that in your home, he was turning down the light on the truth. And uh, since they refused him and his message and didn't take it to heart, he was going to withdraw the vividness and openness of the truth he was teaching. Now, in that, let me say this, it was a mark of grace for them. Now, here's the point that uh, people, all people will be judged in the, in the great judgment uh, on the amount of light that they received. You know, people that, that, that march around and they're up to here in the truth of the gospel, and a lot of America is that way, you know. It's in the media. Uh, there are a number of good churches in our country. We thank the Lord for that. And there's literature and, and commentaries and, and all these kind of things. And uh, people will be judged according to the amount of light they have. There are some places like uh, Qatar where it's few and far, but it's dark. It is dark. It is dark. And I say that it's, it, it, in a sense it's a form of, of mercy on God's part, on the Lord's part, to teach in parables because he gave them less light. Because when they come to be judged, now imagine that. You were there, you heard Jesus, and you rejected it. Whoa, that's big time bad. Bad. Not good. For judgment is forever. And so he turns it down so they have less perceived truth because their judgment would be greater. Just a little different way of thinking about the parable and the judgment. And even in the turning it down forms a, a, a method of God's mercy to those who would be judged even more severely. And in that, in, uh, in verses 9 and 10, just to finish the introduction... Uh, Jesus actually quotes Isaiah 6, verse 9. And I have that on the screen here for you to see. In Isaiah 6, 9, did we, were we able to get those, Jen? Isaiah 6, 9? It's a, it's a, a statement of, uh, of judgment uh, there in Israel. Uh, they had rejected God. They were living in disobedience. And so uh, Isaiah 6, 9 said, uh, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understand, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. And that's what Jesus is quoting. See, their rebellion against God resulted in God hardening their hearts in even more unbelief. The hardening of the hearts of men and women. You know, that's one of the reasons why when you and I share the gospel, uh, we, need to, we need, there's a sense where we, 
We need not plead with them, but urge people today to repent because each day they hear the gospel and they say, no way, no way, I won't have this Jesus be my Lord. There's a hardening effect that takes place, a callousing, if you will, of the heart uh, that, that, of course, God alone can open and God must open in his calling and election uh, and he does some, but there is a hardening that, that's one of the wonderful things of, of working with uh, children. Uh, there is a, yet a tenderness. They haven't hit the, uh, uh, they're born sinners, they're born lost, they need to be saved, but there's a, there's a naivety, a simplicity, there's a tenderness, there's more of an openness than, than hardened sinners that get well practiced in sin and it just corrupts uh, what God made. And so, or urging them to do that. Well, the, uh, the, the great cardiologist, the Lord Jesus, in telling this, this parable, uh, talking about cardiac issues, really presents four heart conditions found in people everywhere. Everywhere you go, everywhere I go, uh, people have one of, these, uh, one of these heart conditions. As you and I strive to be faithful, to live for Jesus, to be lights in a dark world. Know this. This is, uh, this is really important and will encourage you. I promise you, this encourages us. Uh, uh, and, and here's the bottom line. Because as you and I are faithful, God promises, even though uh, there are three heart ca- cardiac problems, there's one of them that uh, it, God has ripped open and prepared the heart to hear the seed of the gospel and produces life. So that's not bad. I mean, as we're faithful, don't be surprised. People say, no way, Jose, no way now, no way, you know, that kind of thing. You know, one sows, another water. God gives the increase. But as we do it, we're part of God's process. And as we do it, be encouraged because God is going to bring some fruit. Remember Paul at, uh, in Athens at the Areopagus? There he is in the arena, right? All those guys at the university in Athens sat around, and all they did all day, the philosopher listening to new ideas, they had heard Paul in the Agora, the marketplace, preaching of the resurrection. They go like, resurrection? We never, we got Paul, come on in and tell us about it. So they're sitting in the arena, and he's then talking about Christ. He bridges from there. I saw an idol there. They had idols everywhere. Here's, and, and, and the, uh, the Athenians, you know, had one. It was a catch-all, right? Here's the idol of the unknown God. Just in case we're missing all, and, the, and we didn't get them all in our pantheon. And, and Paul Bridges said, I'm here to introduce you to that one. And he, and he preaches Christ. And when he got to the resurrection, a bunch of them began to laugh. Resurrection, we're educated. We don't believe in that. And some of them said, hmm, I'd like to hear more about this another time. And then the text says, the end of Acts 17, and some believed. Isn't that great? Some believed. They were the philosophers. God wonderfully saved them through the preaching. God opened the heart. He has to, to tear the blinders off. Well, there are four conditions found in all people everywhere revealing to us the different responses that people have to the gospel. For not all who hear the gospel respond with saving faith. We know that, don't we? Yet all respond. I'm reminded everyone responds to the call of Christ. Every time I preach, people respond. They'll say, yay, or they'll say nay. Yay or nay? Hey, the same sun that hardens the clay softens the wax. The gospel is the same, and uh, that's true, as you and I. We teach, maybe you have a little days, uh, a little uh, four-day club, you know, maybe child event. And you have a little backyard club, or a little home study, or maybe you're discipling, or maybe there's someone you're meeting with, or, or maybe you're teaching the ladies, or, or this. And as you have opportunity to do that, those in your office have a Bible study, Know this, that, uh, that they're going to be, they'll all respond. They will. Uh, and don't be surprised by that. That's part of the reason the Lord is saying this. I mean, it's great when the crowds are thronging, right? Oh, this is great. Man, what a movement here. This is better than Madison. This is better than, so, wow, look at them all. Nah. And the Lord's saying, listen, I want you disciples, you to know, and, and us 20 centuries later through their teaching. Everyone responds, but not that they come to saving faith and know that. Well, here, here are the four hearts. The first one, number one, is the hard and indifferent heart of the man or woman who, 
who hears the gospel. Now, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they're, they're the example of this, aren't they? I mean, many people are. But uh, the Pharisees, right? They were the religious, conservative Jewish leaders of the day. Don't confuse us with the facts. Lord, this Jesus, you're not from our school. We don't know who you are. You didn't uh, get your card punched, and so on. And if you were the Messiah, we would be the ones who anoint you and let everyone know, and you sort of, and so like hard hearts. The hard and indifferent heart. And they represent that. Jesus tells of the sower. He's the farmer. He plants the seed. uh, And he's not in the field with the John Deere tractors. I like to drive one of those. I like, I was telling Mark, he used to have a bulldozer on his property there at the camp. And Dave McClure owned it, and now it's gone. But uh, my cousin in western PA up north, uh, uh, he, when I was a boy, he had a bulldozer, his dad, and he, they did all kinds of mechanical tinkering, and, and he had like 300 acres, and, and, that, and, and he, Tom was telling Tom Snow, was saying, yeah, we went out there, and we dug a big pond, and I go like, wow, that's every boy's desire. I mean, Tonka Truck's grown up, you know, and be able, Mike, you get to have fun like doing that kind of stuff, and, and I'm envious of that, really. Now, it's not John Deere. These farmers in that day would have a sack of seed over their shoulder, and they'd walk through the fields, and they would broadcast. That word actually comes to us in our usage of radio today. What's the broadcast? Or uh, on TV, broadcasting. They scatter the seed. And so they were sitting there as Jesus was teaching. Uh, they may be looking over in the field and seeing uh, them plant. Now, they planted in that, in Palestine, in the fall. Just a little bit different season for us. The winter was the wet season, so they needed the rain, and in the spring they would harvest it. So maybe they're sitting there, and Jesus saying, yeah, sower went, and they all looked over. There he is. They all knew this, this imagery. I mean, it was, it was their life. They were more agrarian. They weren't urban like, uh, like we are, so many of us. And so he's casting the seed. And Jesus tells us that the seed, in verse 11, is the word of God. It's God's wonderful, wonderful word. Now, the seed, you should know, has the power of life within it. Now, we know that, but think about it. Seed, that stuff in the bag, you know, like this spring, you're going to have some brown spots, and you're going to rake it over, and you're going to throw some grass seed. That seed has the, given the right conditions, has the power of life within it. It's, it. It is an amazing thought. And let me just tie one other thought to you. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul uses that same thought when he talks about the resurrection, that your body and mine in Christ will not germinate into the glorious body that we will be until, like seed, it is planted in our death, and it will rise up. He uses that same imagery. The seed, the seed of our bodies, will germinate into a body like Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, check that out. But seed, you know, what is it? It's a bag of seed. What is it? But look, the beautiful green grass or the corn in the field and the barley or whatever they, they plant on that day, the power of life, it's amazing. And the one sowing it initially, of course, is Jesus. But today, it's you, it's anyone preaching or teaching or sharing uh, by written word, by voice. However, the wonder of Christ and the greatest love story ever told. I hope you tell the story that way. This is the greatest love story ever told. God's love for lost sinners, and and tell people that. They need to hear that. They don't know it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. The seed is the word, and you are the sower, and so am I as we go forth. B, as the seed is sown, some of that seed, as as the farmer would throw it, would fall on hardened earthen pathways that were for walking. These these were often crisscrossed, the farmer's fields, these hardened paths, in that day, there were few roads, and there were no sidewalks. Often think about that with universities. Wake Forest, a number of years ago, they decided to, to build a brand-new university, brand-new university, and they did it. It's beautiful, it's beautiful. And I often thought with university students on the campus, in the squares and all that, that you should never put in sidewalks when the campus is being built like that. Don't do it, don't do it. Wait a year. Students always find the shortest path 
between. They're usually running to class, and there's no grass in that area. And then after the paths are beaten down in the square and everywhere else, then the next year, put your sidewalks in. That's what the story, that's what it is. These are earthen pathways crisscrossing the fields, and you're able to walk on it. You remember one place where the disciples of Jesus were walking on the Sabbath, and it was legal to, if you were hungry, there was a few grain left on there. You eat some grain, going to have a little lunch. You didn't drive through Burger King to get a Whopper, but you ate some grain, and they got, their, they got in a hussy fit because it was on the Sabbath day, and they were working. And their complete idiocy and rejection of the word of truth um, and so we know that. Well, Jesus tells that just as some seed fell on the pathway of that farmer in that field, so the word of God falls on the heart of hardened sinners. Harden. It doesn't penetrate. That's the idea. It doesn't penetrate the mind. It doesn't touch the conscience. It doesn't enter the heart at all. The heart's not prepared. It's not cultivated. Uh, the... Uh, the, the word is the same, the seed is the word of God, the hearts, but it's the condition of the heart. It's the cardiac condition that is the variable here. Perhaps uh, uh, it's been hardened by the bitter experiences of life, and aren't there ups and downs and, and hard times in life? There are, and uh, people can become very embittered. I read something this week. Uh, this photographer goes all over the world, and he takes uh, pictures of, uh, of faces. And the story that was uh, attached to it said that uh, uh, he, he believes that uh, people's faces tell the story of their life. It's a way of thinking about it. I never really thought. Uh, you think about it. You have more muscles in your facial area than you have anywhere else in your body. I mean, for all the expressions you make. Some of you look pretty... Smile a little bit. It helps. Okay, and then and whatever you do the most, you know, it's the scowl look. You're working those muscles. You're getting a little work out there. Don't be surprised. In a few years, you kind of like mm, even when you don't mean to scowl, you're you know people are like, whoa, what's wrong with him? You know, bitter. That that's the reason to be joyful in the Lord and to be it every day because not like uh, not like uh, who's that guy with Batman? He always had the Joker thing. You, surgically smiling, not like that, but that you have smile marks on your face and a glow on your face and, and, and all of that. It's, uh, it's, it's really, really uh, important and, uh, to, to have the joy of the Lord. Well, these did not. And there are plenty of bitter experiences in life, and we just give them all to the Lord, and he weaves it all together. Maybe it was the unwillingness to turn away from sin or cold indifference to spiritual truth that causes hard heart to take hold. Sin is like a chain, isn't it? Like a chain. Well, whatever the reason, God's word does not reach into the heart. For Jesus tells, and notice, Jesus believed in the devil. There are some people that stand in pulpits today and write books. <laughs> We're educated. There's no such thing as Satan. Don't you think Satan loves that? Just deny the existence of the enemy. They're no enemy. You know, some people think that in the world today. They think the problem's the United States. We're the problem. We have no enemy. If we just dis all disarm, can't we all hug? Are you kidding me? Please stay inside. You're going to get run over. You know, don't be naive. There are enemies. We have enemies. Like in Israel, there are some people that don't like you. I hate to ruin your day and ruin your lunch, but really, you say, I'm a pretty nice person. doesn't matter. There's some people that don't like me. It irritates me a bit. <laughs> but they don't like me, you know. I, I saw the way you walk. I don't like the way. I don't walk the way I used to walk, but I, I don't like that, you know. I don't know. We have enemies. enemies. Satan is the enemy of the soul. And when the word of God is, is, is scattered in small settings or large, Jesus, Jesus said, He's either right, wrong, or a lunatic. You only have three choices. And the whole of it, I hear the choir in the back there. The whole, the whole of the thing is, he comes and steals it. Does Satan come to church? You bet. He or his emissaries, okay, the fallen, they come. Yeah, and some of you are saying, I wish he'd be done. I'm tired of this. Be careful. He'll steal that seed. He'll steal it. 
Satan comes to Now, he doesn't go to all churches. There are some that are his already. Now, he doesn't even hang out there. Hey, they're mine. I don't worry about them. But he does. Gets you thinking about, you know, the Steelers. I wonder if they're going to win today. Not today. See, we're not in heaven yet. See? Steelers. I think they're going to change their name before they go there. The what? They'll all be Bills up there. No, we won't. No. But the Bills are going to play better up there. <laughs> Satan comes and, he, and he, he's most active during worship. When the seed of God is, is being scattered, and you, you know that you're a sinner, that you need Christ, and hell is forever, and you don't want that, heaven is glorious and great. There's only one door. That's through Christ in the death on the cross. And you must be saved. You must. You must confess your sin and receive him as Savior, or you are lost. He hates that. That's the message that saves. Just like there's seed in the seed that is scattered, there's seed in the Word of God that produces life. I know it took root in my own heart and life. Well, well, that's the, the hardened and different heart. Number two, the second heart condition is the shallow and superficial heart. Many are in, in the crowd, many in the crowd of Jesus' day are just that. Here's John 6, 66, uh, kind of the mark of the Antichrist, huh? Look at, look at what uh, the text is in John 6, 66. Do we have that, John? John 6, 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back. And they no longer followed him. Wow. Yeah, the thronging crowd. People loved him. They turned back. The shallow and superficial heart, many in the crowd. As the farmer sowed a seed, some would fall on the soil with rock near the surface. This is like Pennsylvania. Don't have to go far, and you're into a strat of limestone. Now, these aren't stupid farmers with rock all over the place. Although I did have a friend who came out and pastored in Indiana. He was a, had been a farmer in Indiana, and he used to laugh at the farmers in his church. He had a church up near Williamsport. And he'd go, like, these fields are pathetic. He said, you pick up rock every year. All we grow is rocks up here. The rain would come and wash the soil. More rocks would come up. He says, they can't believe the good soil of Indiana. Now, they're not stupid farmers. There's, it's strata. It's limestone strata. It's shallow soil. So it only goes down an inch or two. And there's soil, and then there's strata, and uh, there's initial response, but not enough for the root to take hold, and it dies. There's no fruit. The, it, no fruit. I had that happen this year. Brenda came over, and uh, so did Rob, and one of our white pine trees. They helped me out. Uh, and they cut it down. What happened there? Well, we got limestone in our backyard. And, and the white pine grew for, uh, how many years ago was that planted? Well, that was the third planting on that spot. <laughs> and I think it grew for maybe 12 years, maybe 14, and died. All of a sudden died. Got this whole hedgerow of white, and dies. Why? Because not too many inches down is this limestone, and... Uh, not enough moisture. That's the imagery that Jesus is talking about. Well, who are these people? And B, Jesus tells the same thing is true when some hear the gospel. Don't be surprised. At first, they're happy. Happy, 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 happy. Be careful when you share the gospel. Don't share it. Do you want to have a friend? Please don't share the gospel that way. It is true there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, but that's not it. You want someone to talk to. Well, who, you know, maybe I don't. Maybe I do, you know. Do you, no, share the gospel, you know, and don't say, well, if you come to Jesus, you'll be happy all your days. Happy, 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 happy. No, you won't be happy all your days. I mean, he, he was the man of sorrow. The gospel is the gospel of the cross. Take up your cross and follow it. There are heartaches and brokenness in following Christ in a world that's no friend of grace. I mean, sometimes, like the old preachers used to say in the, in the pure, you, you, you can't follow Christ. No way. No way. Kind of like shut the door in people's face. You can't do it. You can't. No, I want to. Please let me. No, come. No, no. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. Trouble comes. Have you noticed there's trouble in life with a capital T? Now, if you're not there at this point, good for you. Get ready for Tuesday, though. 
seems to come right around the corner. Whack. I get it again. Look at Job. Whack, whack, whack. Holy moly. Look at that guy. Lost everything. Trouble. Nobody's seen the trouble. That's life in a fallen world. This is not heaven. It's not hell. People tell me that, oh, this is hell. I, this is not hell. Whoa, don't want hell. This, but trouble, right? Trouble. Happy at first when they, the, these dear ones that are shallow and superficial of heart, they're happy. Oh, he's giving us lunch. Oh, isn't he a great tea? Oh, it's one. Oh, whoa, whoa. But they fall away. That's the word apostatize. They seem to have an initial response, but in time, mm, they fall away. What happened to Joe? We don't see him anymore. He's not around. What happened? Fallen away from their professed faith. That's, that's what happened. They had, they had a kind of faith. They seemed to be spiritually alive. They walked an aisle, uh, but they didn't have saving faith. We're not talking about having the real deal and losing it. That never happens, ever. If you're saved, you're saved forever. But uh, that's the way. We had a revival in our church in the day when they used to have that, when I was uh, a high school kid. And that uh, was a great, great revival. Life Action Singers came in. God really worked in some powerful way. People asked forgiveness, a lot of tears, and church began to grow again. It's amazing how that happens, right? Uh, just like in our families at home. Need tears, need to get together, and then there it goes, right? And uh, I said, to our, after it was all, it was like a spiritual mountaintop. And I said to our pastor, Will Hyde, at that time, I said, boy, wasn't this was so wonderful, all these, all these people that moved out for the Lord? And he said to me, I'll never forget, he said, well, let's see where they are six months from now. And I thought, like, whoa, that was tart. I'm floating way up here, and he knew the reality of this. You know, there's a lot of emotional responses. I don't want hell, I want heaven. What do I have to do? Get my, you know, and there's a, oh, it's great, isn't it? Where are they? Listen, true saving faith endures to the end. It's a mark of Christ because it's all his anyway from beginning to end. And a lot of people raise their hand walking out, pray a prayer. They show up for a while and, and then they're gone. Trouble, trouble shakes the, shakes the tree and shakes them away and they fall away. Well, number one, what seemed like saving faith was not faith at all because it didn't persevere. At first they were happy. To follow Jesus remembers the way of suffering. Be honest with others when you share the faith. Urge them, you've got to take up your cross and follow him. And when times of testings come, if we're not rooted deeply in the gospel of the cross, our shallow and superficial faith will fail. And so trouble is the test. Boy, I don't like tests. Do you like tests? Yeah. I remember my driving test. Oh my, I was sweating. Well, I got to get my driver's license. I got to pass the test. Can't hit the cones. Can't kill anybody while I'm driving. Oh, can I parallel park? Let me practice one more time, right? Testing, testing. Oh, and then I passed. <laughs> what a great day. Testing. Oh, I don't like tests. Math tests, Hebrew exams. Oh, trigonometry. Still don't even know how to spell the word. And the rest, you know. <laughs> Oh, Jeremy, you're taking trick, aren't you? Um, I was. Yeah. <laughs> well said. I know what that means. <laughs> it's not what you meant there, but I know what that means. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Testing, testing. Trouble is the test of true Christian faith. Testing, if it's true, will purify. Listen, I've gone through deep waters of sorrow and testing, and the, the, the net result is, I'll tell you, I love the Lord more now than ever. I have less distraction than what I used to have. The Lord has a way of peeling away stuff that seems so important, and it really isn't. There are only a few things that are really important. Uh, 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 pastor, now President uh, Phil Riken, he's now he was pastor at 10th Press, and now he's president at Wheaton College in, in Chicago area. He wrote, uh, it, it is often surprising to see how far some people seem to go in the Christian life before falling away. They may hang around the body for years, and yet it's always been that way. And he's a church historian of sort. Falling away from the faith. You know, a high school student uh, at one point was so enthusiastic, but falls into a bad crowd at school with friends. A little bit of, uh, of uh, leaven. Leaven's a whole lump. A, a girl grew up in a good church and goes off to college and starts sleeping with her boyfriend. 
at the university. A couple that went to church when they were dating, they drift away. You don't even see them after they're married a bit. A man who said he wanted to get serious about spiritual growth gets back into online pornography. A skeptic who seemed convinced about the truth of Jesus comes to a point he moves on. He goes on to another ism or to nothing at all. What happened to him? We pray for such ones that they'll come back, and God will bring some of them back, but sadly, some of them seem, uh, seem to, who seem to believe never got rooted in the depth of the gospel, though there was an initial response and for some time. That's what Jesus is saying. So don't be surprised with a heart condition. Some of it's hard-hearted, and it, the seed bounces out. No germination at all. Second group, those that uh, it's a rocky soil. There's a response, but it doesn't endure. Don't be surprised. And then third, he moves on to preoccupied and distracted heart. Verse 7 and 14. Uh, in 7, it's the parable. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And then his interpretation in verse 14 of what that means. And as for those who fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on in their way, they're choked. Choked. What a picture of a word. By the cares and the riches and pleasures of life, and the fruit does not mature. The, the preoccupied heart, the distracted heart. The rich young ruler is a great example of this. The rich young ruler. Now take, uh, take your Bible, look at uh, over a few pages of Luke 18. i just show you a little bit of this, uh, the story. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and he, he asks him a great question. Uh, t- uh, good teacher, uh, well, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, uh, why do you call me good? He wanted to know what his thinking was. Jesus knew what it was, but he's trying to draw him out. No one is good except God alone. He wanted to know if he knew that he was God incarnate, Emmanuel. And then he goes on to say, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. So he gives him a recap. And here's the pride of this rich young ruler, right? Verse 21, he said, All of these I have kept from my youth. Well, now the Lord, looking into his heart, knowing everything about him, orchestrating the whole thing, realizes that this man struggles with coveting. He's a coveter. Just like Paul said, I kept all the one, and then till I came to the thou shall not covet, it slew me. And I realized in my own heart I was guilty of the sin of coveting, craving what others had, and wanting it myself, and wanting it, uh, holding onto it tightly. And so Jesus said to him, uh, one thing you still lack, Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Now, he's talking to this man. The Lord is looking into his heart. I've read theology upon theology where, where one will say, well, the application is things and money are bad. Sell all that you have, take a vow of poverty. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. Okay? It takes money to do ministry. It takes God's blesses and cares for and, and, and so on. So he's not saying that. Okay, he's looking into his heart and realizes this young man, this rich man, he's a coveter. And he's drawing him to his point of sin and breaking the law. And so and it becomes evident in his response. Look at his, his response is, verse 23, But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Listen, you can have things, but don't let things have you. There's a huge difference, you know. You can have things, and God blesses us. We live indoor, hot water, showers, clothes. We're Americans. We are blessed like no one has ever been. The number of people and the standard of living in human history. You can have stuff. Stuff, right? Stuff. But don't let the stuff have you. It's all the world of difference. Stuff had him. And then Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Have you ever looked at a sewing needle? That's what he's talking about. Impossible for an animal like a camel, who spits all the time, I know, to go through, a cam- go through the eye of a needle. I can't even put a piece of thread through it anymore. I can't even see the eye, right? I'm fishing around trying to get through. Faithy and I, we're a mess trying to do that. And, uh, and we need Todd's help. <laughs> help us out here. This is interesting. Anyway, um, 
where was I? Oh, it's uh, easier for a camel to go through that than for a rich person to, to, uh, to enter the kingdom of God. And, and those who heard it said, then said, who, can, who in the world then can be saved? And he said, what is impossible for men is possible with God. You see, the point is, God can even open the hearts of those that, that are wealthy, and he does. Aren't you glad of that? But not all. Why? Because wealth and all the things that are become great distractions, and they can fill our hearts. They can. They can. Now, we own this or that, but I wonder, does it own us? You know, Faith and I own our house, but I wonder, I'm the maintenance guy. I, th- I think I'm working for the house. I looked at, oh no, the more windowsills need to be painted. Oh my, we get a plumber. Oh my, oh my, oh my. And the more things like that, cars. Oh, I'm running in NTV. Got to do the oil change. You know what I mean? That's the way it is. You know, the, I mean, uh, our good friend Joe O said once, uh, the happiest day in the life of a boater is, you know, you know the two days most happy? The first day he gets a boat, and the day he sells the boat. Yeah, and I, and I go like, uh, you know, that makes sense in all things, doesn't it? I mean, it sort of encumbers us. Uh, you know, I hear my, the words of my father, and my father was quite wealthy in business, and God blessed and raised all those kids and all that. And my father's word is really, travel simply, travel light. Now, he didn't always do that, but I, I've learned there's a lot of wisdom in that. doesn't mean you can't have things. Don't let them have you. Because sometimes there, then you worry about it. You know, is it going to rust? Is the roof falling in? Do I have enough insurance? I'm far away. Someone's going to break in. They're going to steal. They're going to do all these kind of stuff. We become preoccupied. Imagine if all you had was the, the, the coat on your back, and uh, you know you're looking around for something to eat. You got shoes, and your life would be a whole lot simpler, wouldn't it? Mine would be. Mine would be a whole lot simpler. I'd be coming over to your house for dinner. Hey, what are we having? You know, it'd be that way. Well, it's like, no, we've got to get another freezer because our freezer's not big enough. I've got ice growing in it. What are we going to do? You know what? It's just amazing. The preoccupied and distracted hard. Uh, that's what Jesus is talking about. A farm went out and sowed. Some fell on soil that seemed to be good, uh, but it contained seed from a variety of weeds that were native to that area. And the seed, the seed would sprout. That is, the seed that was planted by the farm sprouted and grew. But in time, it was choked off by the weeds that also grew in the soil. Choked off. Some of the weeds in Palestine grew to be six feet tall. And they grew enormously. And they robbed the moisture from the area around it and uh, deprived the, uh, the cultivated plants of moisture. And they died. Choked off. What a great description. Jesus tells us that there are those who would be interested in hearing the message but uh, could not accept it because of their devotion to material things. It's a matter, really, of misplaced priorities, isn't it? It is. And I say it to all of us, we are rich by world historical standards as Americans. We are. We're wealthy. And our problem is we look at each other, I don't have what he has. And like, it's, you know, we're wealthy. We, we really are. And... Uh, and, so many, and even our time, you know, we have much more time for leisure, much more time for and time to get in trouble, time to distract us, time to take us from things that are really important, and they're not very many. And the discipleship and the sowing of the gospel and living for Christ and raising our families and serving the Lord, that is all important, all important. And I wonder if some of you have really struggled with having a preoccupied heart and say, Lord, you know, I can't say with Paul, for me to live is Christ. It's to live with Christ plus my boat, plus my car, plus my house, plus my clothes, plus, 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 all the games and all the toys I have. It can happen. You can have all that stuff, but don't want to have you. Surrender it to the Lord. And if it's occupying too much of your time, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Have a big garage sale. Call me. I'll come over. Have a sale. Have a sale. Get rid of that stuff. Get rid of it. Someday you're going to be separated from it all anyway. I love uh, Franny Schaefer, one of his great sermons uh, was Ash Heap Lives. And he said, he, uh, growing up in Germantown, Pennsylvania, which is in the Philly area, he said uh, every so often he'd walk down to the dump. That was the day when he had a town dump, you know. And uh, he'd go down there and he'd see piles of uh, different things. And they, I remember talking about piles of the metal area. And there were appliances and bicycles and everything, all, you know, taken to the dump. 
they were going to be melted down. He said, I just needed to see visually what it is that people give in exchange for their whole life and where it ends, at the ash heap, at the dump. Life is so much more than that. Don't give yourself to that. You're tempted. We live in a world and we like those things. Don't let them have you. The preoccupied, distracted heart. Simplify, simplify, simplify if you have to. Well, in two ways. Two ways the preoccupied and distracted heart is afflicted. What? Well, the first way is the cares of this life. Our miseries get in the way. Oh, nobody's seen again the trouble I've seen. It's the worries, the troubles. They're distracting. We worry about all kinds of things, right? So much so you forget to nurture the life of the soul. This is spending too much time worrying about our health, our family, family conflicts, work, getting ahead, all these things. All of these things can distract us from the thing that's most important, loving the Lord God with all our heart and soul and our strength and serving Him. And I have to say that because... uh, I only get one time a week, and we're bombarded, all of us, all week long by other messages that this is the message of Jesus. That beware, beware. And as you and I are faithful in loving people enough to tell them the truth about the love of God in Christ, don't be surprised. Some may have a, a response, but it doesn't produce any fruit. Why? Their hearts are crowded full of stuff, and they're preoccupied and distracted so that the voice of God cannot even be heard. It's particularly in this day. I'm forever saying, we're saying to our kids, particularly one of them, disconnect. You're connected all the time to the internet, the pages, the phone, everything else. How can you even sleep at night? In fact, the one has problems sleeping at night. Can't disconnect. Distraction. Listen, if you don't have time alone, quiet time. Open the Word of God and listen to the voice of God and to pray. Man, strip that stuff away. You're not going to, you're going to be a little, if you are a Christian, you're going to be a little stubble of thing with maybe one little berry on you by way of fruit. God will produce fruit, but not very, very much. Well, the cares. The second are the good things, and that's the American way, right? The good things can also uh, uh, crowd out and choke off uh, the work of God in our life. It's the riches, the pleasure, they're traps. Be careful of it. And finally, the fourth uh, kind of heart, praise God for this, what an encouragement is the good and the fruitful heart. Good only because God makes it good, receptive only because God cultivates the heart and opens it so when the seed of the gospel, the word of God hits and the spirit of God produces life, it's all his, it's the disciples that he's speaking to, it's the men and the ladies of the first few verses of this chapter. We saw that last time. And uh, it's the fruitful heart. It's your heart if you've come to saving faith in the Lord. Jesus tells that some of the seed fell upon good soil and produced an abundant harvest. It's the golden harvest. Given all that happens to seed, as we've just seen, it's amazing that anything grows, isn't it? Just amazing. Jesus tells that this good heart is not hardened by sin, nor is it shallow with rock under it, nor is it distracted, and it receives God's wonderful word deep into the depth of its being, and it takes root. Praise God for that. What an encouragement. It's beautiful. Beautiful. And, you know, a hundredfold. She said a hundredfold. That's an enormous harvest. You know, far more than what a farmer gets out in the field. One seed in the yield. This is, this is fruit, and there's fruit everywhere. I've said it and, and been quoted on it, but at your funeral, live in such a way so that they're not hanging around your caskets. You know, in so many words saying, mm, I wonder if Dad made it. You know? I wonder if Mom made it. If you belong to Christ, there will be fruit everywhere in your life. It will be just, oh man, look at that. Wow, Woo! fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. God will produce that. And so they won't have that that uh, difficult conversation there at the funeral home when you're laid out. They'll say, wow, what an entrance dad had. What an entrance mom had. What an entrance into glory. Praise the Lord. That's what we need to be about. Huge. Well, it's a heart that's good because God made it good. It's persevering because God's carrying us to the end. It holds on to God's word, and such will always, always bear fruit. Reading the Word, striving to serve, striving in obedience to serve the Lord. 
the cardiologist diagnosis. Well, what are some lessons? What's the great so what? Because all this is true, what can we end by a strong application? Lessons for our life, number one. Look at this. Like farmers, and that's what you are if you're a Christian, we as Christians are to spread the seed of the gospel everywhere. Everywhere we go. Be faithfulness. Some of you can be expert farmers, and you can like say, I can hit that soil, and man, some have advanced training, able to do that. But you know what? Even a child can just throw the seed. Grandpa, how come you don't come to church? Grandpa, Grandma, why don't you love Jesus? And a child, God will often use a child to pierce through that hardened soil of a grandma, grandpa, and see them begin to deal with questions that are of eternal importance. So all of us can, a child, uh, all of us can scatter the seed of the gospel, and we need to be, it's exciting to do that. I said a few weeks ago, your lives are probably very boring. Do this, and I guarantee your life will add a lot of excitement, and you'll be amazed. You will be amazed that God used me. Holy macaroni, isn't this great? We ought to all pray that way. Let's do that. This year, let's pray that God gives each one of us someone that uh, we might see come to know Christ the Lord. Drag him to church with you. Say, hey, get up. Say, I'm coming by and pick you up. You're coming with me. You got to come. You got to come. Drag him in here. You'd be surprised. You know what? You'll have a friend forever if God should save them. Not too many will bless the Lord for you, right? But they'll say, that one will love you to the end and forever. Number two, second lesson. As we plant seed, don't be surprised by the many different responses that people have. Don't be surprised. Don't say, well, I tried that once. Nobody believed that's it. Come on, get in the game. This is not a game. It's reality. Come on, let's do it. Start up again. Did you ever notice much of life is starting up again? A righteous man falls seven times, he gets up. Proverbs 24, get up, get up, get up, get into it. Come on, let's do it. Shall we do it? Let's plant seed this week. Today, I pray that God puts someone on your heart. A name right now, a face. You know, I don't know what they're saying. Maybe I need to give them a daily bread. Maybe I need to invite them to church. Maybe I give them a church. Maybe I just share with them what God's been doing in my life. Not heavy. Don't back the dump truck up on. They'll run from you next time they see you. Uh-uh, I'm not getting near them. You know? And God give you wisdom how far to go on that. God, it's God that opens their heart, not you. Not you. There's a part that we do in that. Give yourself a break in that. If God saves them, he'll save them, but he wants to use you. And if he's going to save them and you're disobedient, he'll use someone else. And you'll have to give an answer, and you'll lose the, the joy of the reward of that. Number three, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Some will believe. Can you believe it? He came to Christ. His life was a complete mess. Hey, you know what? God's in the mess-up business, clean-up business. He is. All of our lives are a mess until he enters it. Every one of us. They are. Don't look so holy. It's true. We're educated. Yeah, educated mess-ups. <laughs> I got a degree. Yeah, so what? You know, <laughs> We're lost. There'd be a lot of educated people, sophisticated people in hell. It's God's work in us. Be encouraged. Some will believe God will open their heart. Number four. As Americans, make sure your hearts are not filled with the weeds of distractions. The things don't have you. I have to say that over and over. It is so tempting to live in that, isn't it? We like our gadgets. We go, yeah, he's, he's a gadget guru. Oh, he loves all the high tech, you know, and all this is, all this stuff, all of it. Be careful, be careful, be careful. And may God lead you in that thing, okay? I'll never forget my, uh, uh, my youth leader. He worked for the, at Sears and Roebuck. That's when it used to be called that. They're in the city of Buffalo. And, uh, uh, he uh, one day was offered a big promotion there at Susan Roebuck. And it trickled down. He didn't tell us. It came through the parents, and I heard from my mom that he turned it down. He turned down the big bucks. He turned down the, because it was going to require that much more time away from his real love of working with the boys in the junior high and high school at his church. And I, I got to tell you, in my family, uh, I didn't understand that. That's probably why it stayed with me all these years. Because that was not the heartbeat of our home. 
Go, 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 work, 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 work. Get your degrees, stay at it. Who are you, you know, this, the German, you know, keep. And I, he did what? You know, like, he did what? You mean, he didn't want the job to get more stuff and more stuff? No, he had his eye on the right prize. And it was so different from anything I'd ever heard of. And so different. And I'm not saying promotions are bad. Hear me. I'm not saying that. But for him and what God had called him to do, and you know what? That's part of the big reason I'm here today. Because he loved a bunch of high school kids that were a bunch of, you know, like we used to do that. Was that loser or something like, you know? Like, and he just, he kind of loved, and he played with us. He go, I'm going to rent the elementary gym, and we're going to play basketball on Tuesday night, you know? Like, and he was a terrible teacher. I got to tell you, he was a terrible teacher. I sit down there and I like he'd stand up and tell these awful jokes. They were just, you know, like no one would laugh. You'd laugh just to help him, you know. And uh, like he'd have his Bible and he'd, he'd give one little story that was horrible, really. But he loved us and he stood for Christ. And for me, my dad was not saved. He stood in the place of a, oh, that's what a godly man is. And, and I, you don't figure a lot of stuff out till later, you know. Later, it just kind of, Lord, weaves all that. Oh, 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 the lights kind of come on. Wow, there's a guy that had the right value. And you know, he was tragically killed. when He, he retired, went down to Carolina, and in a truck accident, and he died when the medevac flew him to the hospital. And God took him home just that quickly. And it happened, it happened on a Sunday morning in the church that he made such an impact. The pastor knew of it. i just tell you the story. I'm going, I want to end here because it really moves me. Um, they... The pastor was reticent to tell the church uh, that he had died uh, late last night. And he waited to the end of his sermon. And when he ended before the benediction and, and said that, the whole church, I'm talking 500 people, stood silently weeping for Wayne Gibbs. And they stood around there for a half an hour, overcome with sorrow for one who had given so much. Now that man's wealthy. You know what I'm saying? Wealthy. Don't, I, those stories are part of who I am. Wow. Number five and last. Number five. Today, perhaps some, will, some of you will receive Christ the Lord as Lord. I'm, I'm scattering seed here. I don't know. I hope you're all saved. I hope you're not hard-hearted. I hope some of you aren't not rocks in your head. <laughs> Sorry about that. Or, or, or just polluted soil, but that you're all good soil. But if you're not, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ today and he'll save you. I promise you. Those are words not for me, but from the great cardiac specialist, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.